I know a man who had to travel 12,000 miles away from home to finally see himself as he really is. Kay and I were so intrigued that we ended up making the 12,000 mile journey too, just to see what we had missed. 10 years ago, our youngest son, John, was rounding the bend on his uh, commitment to the Peace Corps. He had been assigned for a two-year stretch to a remote Muslim village called Gumlog, Azerbaijan. That little village is at the base of the Caucasus, uh, which connect Azerbaijan to its near border, uh, the Republic of Georgia. It's certainly not vacation land. In fact, Google summarily ignores the little town. It's hard to even get Google to show it to you on the map, much less give you any cultural information about Gumlog. But there John was, and he was the first American that most any of the villagers had ever encountered in their entire lives. John spent his days teaching in a deteriorating Soviet-era concrete school building. Now, deteriorating is really being rather kind. There were manhole-sized holes in the concrete floors such that in one classroom you could look down and see the students in the floor beneath you. The students paid no mind whatsoever to these gaping holes. They terrified me, but there they were, beautiful children, and Azerbaijani children are gorgeous. That where Europe meets Asia, that mix is just alluring, and even though they were impoverished uh, their parents would have their, their school uniforms perfectly pressed, their hair perfectly coiffed with bows and ribbons and so forth, the boys having all the cowlicks uh, combed out. And their shoes, their shoes like those Kenyan children Kay and I met some months ago, were always so shiny without a speck of mud on them even though all the roads were dirt and mud. The children took no notice of the manhole-sized covers. And what amazed me more is that they took no notice of the murals, the faded murals on many of the classrooms and on some of the walls uh, in the hallways. One mural I remember was yellow and black, and it was given the students instructions on how to assemble and disassemble the AK-47 Kalishnikov assault rifle. Another one, if my memory is still good, was showed a pea green T-62 Soviet tank. And on the turret, there was a garland of red roses, making it look, well, like a racehorse in, in Kentucky. The one, though, that got me the most was along the hallway, I believe. It was a faded pastel, and it showed uh, Azerbaijani children standing shoulder to shoulder, all looking with rapt attention, 
with their chest out, all peering adoringly at the red and white hammer and sickle flag of the Soviet Union. Which just brought to mind to me as I sat there listening to John teach that just 21 years before those children's parents had been taught that Americans were their mortal enemies. But now as I watched our youngest son, our baby, even as he got to the precipice of a question, just to the edge of asking a question, the children would all be at the edge of their chairs, waving their hands, waving their hands, going, Mr. John, Mr. John, Mr. John. And not a single person in that school or in that village would ever consider Americans ugly again. What amazed Kay and me the most, though, was when we'd walk along the dirty streets of, of uh, Gumlog, people of all ages would address our son in that adoring way, Mr. John. Even the Azerbaijani senior men who were very reserved and very dignified would sometimes stand up from drinking their tea and bow to him. But the thing I think that got us the most is that John put on his running shoes, which Azerbaijanis uh, really couldn't relate with, and he would begin running around those dirt roads and paths uh, all around the village. A posse of children would begin to run after him. And as he ran, they would, be, they would be saying to him, Mr. John, Mr. John. And I do believe that's when our son began to truly see himself as he really is. Because in, in, that, in that posse that followed him, there was the unmistakable, the unmistakable message. You are beloved to us. You are beloved. And it took him a long journey to hear that. Just as it's taken the disciples a long journey with Jesus to begin to see themselves as they really are. I mean, they've been with him three years. And now they are coming to the end of that journey. Even on this particular night, um, they have had supper with Jesus, which goes from kind of brightness to darkness. Jesus, at one point, mystifies them as he gets down on his hands and knees and washes their feet. And when the supper and the washing is over, they begin to walk towards the Mount of Olives. And just like any rabbi would do, he's teaching them along the way as they follow. You can hear their footsteps almost. And at some point, it says in the 17th chapter of John, he left off speaking to them. 
And he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, he began to pray, Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son so that he may glorify you. The hour has come. The hour has come for Jesus to be glorified. It is an epical moment in the history of the world. Jesus knows this. The disciples will eventually come to know this. Because Jesus, on this night, in just a few hours, will be arrested and his transition will commence. He'll be crucified. He'll be raised. And he will ascend to the Father. It's all one piece in the Gospel of John. And the disciples, through this, will eventually see Jesus as he really is. And that is a pivotal moment in their own journey to discovering who they are. In the crucifixion, Jesus reveals God is the one whose love cannot be restrained, as the one whose love is coming after Israel and the rest of us, just as Abraham and David and the prophets had said God's love, his steadfast love does endure forever and it will stop at nothing. Satan can't stop it. Rome can't stop it. Nothing can stop the love of God as it's manifested on the cross. And then, just to punctuate that, Jesus is raised from the dead showing that evil can't hinder God and death can't stop God. He is going to do what he set out to do. And then... And then Jesus is raised and people begin to understand that human nature is being elevated and that the imageness that we were promised at creation is being restored in us through Christ. You see, the disciples will eventually see Jesus as he really is. He is the revelation of the invisible Father. And he's showing, in short order, what God is really like. And then Jesus says, because I glorify you, you have given me authority over all humanity. And you've given me the power to confer eternal life on those you have given me. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life, says Jesus in his prayer that they would come to know you, the one true God, and Jesus, his Son, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. You know, we get off at the, at the off-ramp too early when we begin to look at eternal life. We 
We continue to think it's some kind of strange transaction between Jesus and God, and we're given a ticket to some type of immortality. But there's so much more. You hear Jesus? This is eternal life. That they would come to know you, Father, the one true God. The knowing here, both uh, as we see it in the Greek and then earlier, of course, in the Hebrew, does not denote so much a cognitive understanding of, oh, I got the facts about God now. But it's more like a romantic knowing. It's more like a sexual knowing. And to enter into eternal life is to be embraced by God. It's to allow yourself to be, to be completely enfolded in God. I can relate it to many things, but none so much as when I am really out of sorts and I'll just step up to Kay and I'll put my hands up like a two-year-old and she'll wrap her arms around me. And then I know I am loved, even though I've been pretty unlovable. The embrace of God is like that. No matter how how uh, dark our life has become, he, he has come to embrace us and take us soon to himself. But then Jesus also says, this is eternal life too, that you may come to know the Son. Well, okay, but why? Well, because the Son is obedient to the Father. The Son is obedient to the Father. It's written all through, all through the Gospel of John. I don't say anything of my own accord. I don't do anything unless the Father told me to do it. And here we see the two fundamental pillars of eternal life. And they are fundamental, and I ask you to please pay attention. On one hand, God is embracing us in His love. It's unmerited, and it is a complete surprise to most all of us. On the other hand, to live an eternal life is to be obedient. There's no way to live in that embrace without altering your life. No way. No way. In order to enter into that, we enter into the embrace, and our life begins to be altered. It's interesting that, um, that the uh, prayer book used to read in the marriage rite, to love and obey till death do us part. It was like that for centuries. And then we got enlightened and we said to love and to cherish until death do us part. Well, to love and obey is much more accurate because you know very well, especially if you are in a marriage, marital relationship, if you are truly in love with someone, if you've embraced by them, there's no way you won't also obey them. That you won't also, that you will not also do everything in your power to meet their needs. To love and obey. You know, I believe it was, uh, yes, it's Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Carmelite Spanish nun who said, the pay begins now about eternal life she says the pay begins now how perceptive eternal life begins now with an embrace and with an alt and with an alteration of our lives
begins now and does not end. Finally, finally Jesus says, um, all you've given me uh, are, are yours, Lord, and all yours are mine. And they, and, and, and I have been glorified in them. I have been glorified in those who have followed me. Wow, wow. Now, we just talked about glorification a moment ago. Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. And now he's saying, that glorification is reflected in the disciples? <laughs> well, yes. And so will it be in you and me. Our whole life, along the journey, we are to be signposts of the revelation of God, love that will not be thwarted, love that, can, that cannot be hindered by evil or stopped by death, love such that it transforms human nature into something wonderful as it was meant to be. And so, as you and I are running along life's journey, and we hear the footfalls behind us gaining on us. If we'll listen carefully, we'll hear the words, you are beloved. You are beloved. For that is who we really are. <laughs>